let's get it. Radically smaller commerce. You wanna test A B on your PDP? Pop up that AOV and your B2C. Do the 301, avoid the 404. Boost your SEO, get people to the store. Got the latest stack, headless, you react. You want that seamless customer experience attack. Live shopping social, set up your syndication. Be relevant, that's our recommendation. Radically Smarter Commerce is a podcast presented by Aptus with focus on smarter commerce and merchandising. And we will talk about trends, new technology, and the importance of being relevant. We will do this by interviewing site and guests to be inspired by their success stories and insights. And we that are your host is Thomas Schaberg and Frida Olsson. Hi everyone, I uh, hope you are well and uh, that you have enjoyed previous episode of the podcast and um, I'm here with Frida of course, how are you today? I'm fine, how are you? I'm great, thank you. And I'm excited about the episode today because it's a topic where I don't have so much experience and that you hear about. We're going to talk about automated pricing and uh, I know when it comes to automation, when it comes to product recommendations and, and so on there, I mean, you have a lot of experience in that field, Frida. I have indeed, but but not when it comes to prices. Uh, so so in that sense, it's going to be a new topic for me to discuss as well. Yeah, and uh, besides getting insights in different kinds of uh, automated pricing, we're also going to hear about uh, a story of a maybe aspiring startup that uh, includes us and our guests. So uh, join us for a fun and I hope rewarding talk together with Eric from Sniffy. And if you want to ask your own questions to Eric, you can join our follow-up talk in Clubhouse on Thursday the 25th and that is tomorrow. And in order to participate, you need to have an iPhone and the Clubhouse app. And you can look at our LinkedIn post to know how to get access. But now, let's talk to Eric. Today, we want to welcome Eric Kaunismäki uh, at Sniffy. He's the pricing automation consultant. And nice to have you here on the show, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, very welcome to to our podcast. I'm looking forward to our talk as I have a lot to learn about price automation and, and monitoring, which I know you know a lot about. Uh, but before going into nitty gritty, maybe you can start by telling a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so as Thomas said, I work as uh, what's called a pricing automation consultant. But I think so. It might be easier to think about about it as like a, a data scientist role uh, here at Sniffy. And uh, at Sniffy, what we do is uh, pricing automation, basically, or a pricing automation software, a SaaS solution. So we started back in 2017 with. Uh, with simply price monitoring. So you were able to look up your competitors' prices conveniently and follow them. And quite quite rapidly, we, we realized that there is actually a lot more interesting development in pricing automation, AI-based pricing. So that's where our main focus is nowadays on rule-based pricing and then developing uh, this uh, pricing algorithm, which is called Sampo, which is a, a Finnish guy's name. And that's sort of also my primary task at Sniffy is uh, developing this algorithm. Okay, so are you a programmer then, or what's so, what, what do you do in an uh, ordinary day? Well, it's actually quite funny. I do write Python on a on a daily basis, but I wouldn't say I'm not like a I'm not a coder by training. So uh, I studied economics uh, as my major and had statistics as my minor. Uh, so yeah, more of like a, a data role, uh, 
but of course the application is always in code. So it's it's good to know some Python's and SQL, but uh, I'm not a, I'm not a very good coder, so to speak. Okay, uh, Sniffy is a bit uh, unusual name. I mean, uh, my thoughts goes to uh, the Moomin <laughs> Moomin <laughs> universe. <laughs> Uh, so, in Finnish, what uh, is it a word in Finnish, or is it just uh, sort of some other kind of connection? No, actually, no, absolutely not. It's uh, it comes from like uh, from the price monitoring background, it's sort of like you go sniffing your competitor's price. Okay, yeah. So that's where it becomes sniffy, uh, the startup name. All right. Yeah, I see. I see. So what kind of customers is typically using a, a solution like yours then? Yeah. So from the price monitoring background, we have uh, all types of companies as customers. Be like brands, e-commerce sites, you know, you name it. But if we look at pricing automation, especially pricing AI algorithm, which I'm working mostly with, uh, we are looking mostly at e-commerce sites, uh, preferably like uh, private label places or uh, companies that don't have such a sort of like straightforward, highly competitive environment. So like pricing an HDMI cable is very different from pricing a skirt, which is like a private label product. And you have a completely different environment and the HDMI cable might be more of a sort of straight cut, uh, the lowest sort of wins, the lowest price wins type of situation. So we're maybe a bit more uh, with the AI, AI especially. Uh, in sort of like private label e-commerce businesses, whereas the pricing automation goes very well in electronics, for example. Okay, have you have you found some uh, some customers uh, which it works really well for, which you haven't thought about uh, from the beginning when you started? Well, absolutely, absolutely. We get this uh, all the time. We actually have sort of entered a new new industry, so to say, or like car rental businesses, which we didn't initially think of, where where, I, where our application works quite nicely. Uh, and that's sort of a new new frontier which we are sort of discovering all the time and we're de- developing new tools from for them as well okay interesting and uh, today the main topic will be to dive down a bit into different types of price automation and you already mentioned that it can be rule based but it can also be algorithm based so could you introduce us to this topic a little bit yeah absolutely absolutely i think it's if, if we start like from uh, we go like uh, top to down, we start with pricing automation as a as a general theme. So, what is pricing automation in general? So, let's say uh, you have, uh, let's say, take this example. Uh, me, Thomas, and Frida, we have our sneaker store, and then we buy in some sneakers. They have a purchase price, and then we apply a constant thirty five percent margin. And we do this by a simple Excel spreadsheets, uh, and then we push up the prices on our store. Like that's that's a rule. And that's a automated pricing rule. With this, it's of course very uh, non-intelligent in that sense. It's a very simple rule. But this is like when we think about pricing automation, people may be thinking about all these fancy, you know, cutting-edge things. But but actually, it's a very wide spectrum. And this sort of like Excel-based uh, applying a thirty-five percent margin is also something that could be considered as as pricing uh, automation. And so is that common practice for e-commerce vendors to do batch updates of prices like exporting out to Excel, do some Excel magic and then importing it again? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Especially like if you think about uh, companies that aren't that highly advanced in, in their pricing procedure, they could do uh, this very often actually, uh, have this sort of like Excel-based, uh, applying some basic rules that you can you can create there, especially if sort of, let's say your SKU amount is still manageable in Excel, then you could you could easily do that. And then 
then sort of like, for example, what we do at Sniff is sort of like an extension upon that. Let's say that you have some competitor data. Um, you Let's say we have this, our, our own sneaker brand here. It's uh, Eric Thomas Frida uh, sneaker store. And we have five sneaker competitors. So like maybe we want to position ourselves in the middle always. So we would calculate uh, the competitor prices. We would follow them online. And then we would set, uh, set that we always want to be in the middle of this. And that's an that's a rule that you can automate, which is based on your competitors' data. Okay, well, that sounds quite advanced. If you're going to monitor five different competitors and then find, you know, the sweet spot in between. So, what is typically what you choose? Is it to be somewhere in the middle, or to have the lowest price, or or the highest price? What do you, yeah, how do you work with that? That depends very much on sort of like what is the pricing strategy that you want to sort of execute. If you want to be, let's say, if our sneaker brand is about being the cheapest always, we want to be, we want to provide the most affordable product. Then we would set the rule to be uh, that we we will also want to be like the lowest in the market, or, or at least in the lowest region. And sort of when you say that, it uh, sounds like a complicated rule. It might be complicated for a human to keep track of all of these things, but for a machine to do this, it's like very easy because it's a very mechanical, uh, simple task. It only takes, you know to calculate a few averages it's uh, we're talking about nanoseconds for a computer whereas for a human this might be a, a like a, a time-consuming uh, task hmm. yeah i think that's 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 really interesting because i i just thought about because we we own an apartment in spain actually which we renting out uh through a through a site online uh, and i often get the choice like do i do i want to to increase or maximize my 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 income from the rents or do i need to uh, let's say improve the amount of weeks that are actually renting it out and then then they um then they suggest and i guess that that would be then based on what what other uh, owners apartment owners actually had set their price etc and then of course it's a podcast co-host discount that exactly. can be applied right <laughs> yeah and in some cases this is like a, a very very sort of efficient way to do things like uh, mentioned hdmi cables in the beginning and uh, sort of like an, an hdmi cable is an hdmi cable there isn't you know maybe there might be different colors or that sort of stuff but it's quite quite straightforward and when people go into the shop looking for an hdmi cable uh if they can't see any like specific quality differences in them it's like okay let's go with you know the cheapest one and then in that sense you might actually gain a lot of sales you can gain a lot of market power by having a, a quite low price but then in many other areas this isn't the case now, you shouldn't be like uh, uh putting yourself at the lowest all times for example if you have some a brand value of your own let's say that our sneaker brand we have we have a super marketing department and it sort of uh convinced people that our that our sneakers are are very high quality then we definitely don't want to sort of like sell us too low and want to have the pricing sort of to be uh, in correlation with the marketing that we just said so then maybe we have some some other type of rule uh that we want to base the pricing on let's say for example we have a we have like some internal data, which could be, for example, our ad spend online. So, for example, we would want to tie our pricing to how much money we are spending on online ads for uh, some sneaker model. So, if, if we are spending a lot of uh, money on ads, so we're convincing people that these are really high quality sneakers, then we would also want the sort of price to increase. Uh, and then we can automate this rule with these two data and a, and a simple sort of like... Uh, a simple automated rule, for example, in a software like Sniffy. 
So I'm getting really excited about starting um, a sneakers business here <laughs> with us three. I mean, it seems that we have good knowledge. We have Frida that has, you know, the, the fashion part and you you have the, you know, all the price logic and all the smart stuff. And well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but... Um, <laughs> I was just about to ask what would be your contribution to this. Yeah, story, let me think about that. But, but also, you know, sneakers, um, to my knowledge, is a part of the hip hop culture. And uh, as you might know, we ask all our guests what their rapper name would be yeah, yeah exactly uh as a matter of fact i used to do some djing uh back in high school uh like at uh, people's home parties and that sort of stuff and i had like a dj stage name but it's uh, it only works in finnish it's kind of embarrassing uh but you know those are my friends from high school who listen to this will we'll know it but today i'm gonna save myself uh, from the embarrassment and you from the confusion so i'm gonna go with a a very sort of like pricing uh heavy I'm going to be M MC Pricer. <laughs> okay, MC Pricer. But uh, I don't know if I can let this go with the Finnish name. I mean, we won't understand it uh, predominantly. Uh, what is it? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Okay, all right. I can explain it sort of like... Uh, okay. I've always been very much into coffee. Like different, I've been roasting my own coffees and this sort of yeah. stuff. So, okay. So from there, it became like a DJ Sumpi. <laughs> Uh, and uh, sumpi, which is kaffe sumpen in Swedish. Yes. Uh, so for the English listeners, that's uh, that's like the leftover coffee in the filter after the water has drained out. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, that's the analog. Oh, yeah, excellent. No, but that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I almost prefer that one, but uh, yeah, two good names. <laughs> and anyway. All right, so we have talked about competitor pricing and how you can apply business rules around that. What other kinds of rule-based pricing can you apply? Well, basically, uh, any type of data point uh, could be sort of used as a rule. So, for example, let's use something that's you know rather easy, which is time. The time is always sort of like there is no, not not that much cost of gathering like time data. You could have like something where you see that on weekends uh, you have a higher demand, you might want to increase your price sort of to be able to catch more of that uh, profit on the weekends. You could have a time-based uh, pricing on that sense. And basically, any sort of type of data which you think that might be useful in pricing and which isn't sort of like too, too difficult to get your hands on uh, might be a good viable uh, place to start. And of course, you know, not everything is actually is sort of like good for using as a pricing basis and where it comes like A-B testing and that sort of stuff uh, becomes really important. Maybe this is a really rookie question, so <laughs> I apologize in advance. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> but is there some cases where you actually use the combination of these? I mean, both rule-based and algorithm-based pricing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are two really good sort of uh, things to combine, actually. So what we have, for example, is that you can have the algorithm uh, on what's called, or as we call it, as a passive mode. So you would have the algorithm doing all the calculations in the back end all the time, uh, giving you price suggestions, but not putting them live. And then you could have simultaneously, you could have a, a like rule-based pricing that is actually going live. And then you could sort of uh, step as a human in between this process and sort of look at like the algorithm suggestion, pale it to the rule that you're having currently, and then you can sort of like all right, now I don't want to have the rule. I'm going with the algorithm suggestion instead. So this is sort of like, of course, we're talking about like automation and AI and this sort of stuff. But actually, the realistic place where we are at the moment in like general in de uh, development of AI is that 
there is still a, a big like computer human interaction. And, and also, you know, you as a business owner or as a pricing manager, you're the one who is ultimately responsible, you know, for making the decision, even if you, you know, sort of give it to a computer. So it's it's really important to have this sort of connection that the human can survey uh, what is the sort of the algorithm doing or what is the rule-based pricing decision doing, sort of that you can intervene, you can analyze, you can understand the logic uh, upon which the decision is made. Uh, this is sort of a, a really important part. And in this way, you can also combine these two really, really fluently. You mentioned before a number of different kinds of rule-based pricing, but when we talk about algorithm based pricing what kind of components are there are they different kinds and when are they used yeah yeah actually i think this would be a really good sort of like uh thing to start with like telling a like a story okay so if we if we continue with this like uh our sneaker brand story that we have <laughs> sure uh, and almost like when we talk about we have these pricing rules which are sort of like dumb rules and we're talking about an ai doing pricing so we Sort of assume that, that it has some intelligent component. So, what is this intelligent component? Well, this is usually price elasticity. So, so I think it's it's good to start. Let's like take a deep dive into what is price elasticity actually, and why is it a good good basis for for pricing. So, so let's imagine we have this our we have this our sneaker brand, and we live in a a fantasy world. We've created this imaginary place where we have uh, our sneaker brand, and this place has a population of a thousand people. We are the only sneaker brand in this fantasy world, but there are other uh, shoe manufacturers. So now the question is, is like a sneaker, is it a substitute for a shoe? Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we have a good marketing department. Maybe that's you, Thomas, or try to convince people that... We're going to make so much money. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make so much money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, so we're trying to convince people that they are not substitutes. So even if you, wear, if you have like uh, five pairs of shoes, you should buy an additional pair of sneakers and Definitely not substitutable. So we're trying to create some sort of like a monopoly position uh, on sneaker for us, and by like doing this product differentiation from other shoes. And then we ask this, you know, crucial question: What should be the price uh, of our sneaker? How do we how do we do do know what's like is the most appropriate price? Well, what we do now is that we want to maximize uh, profits. We want to have as much money as possible. So that would be like a suitable place to start. And the, the price that gives us the most money, that's the one that we're going to choose. All right, so so how do we go about doing this? Uh, since we only have a, a population of 1,000 people, we go, we go and ask them. Like we do some sort of like a, a polling in this imaginary world. Uh, we start with a extremely high price, let's say like $10,000. Who would like to buy our sneaker for $10,000? It's like, okay, raise your hands. Okay, nobody raises their hand. That's too high price. So, so we start going lower all the time. So maybe at like, let's say, all right, $5,000, we're ambitious here. So, so, so one hand comes up. Okay, one person raises their hand. Then we go lower and lower, $1,000. <laughs> okay, a few hands. Then we come down to like, uh, let's say, $100, a lot of hands up. And then we go all the way down to, to $0. And everybody's hands this up, except like for one person who doesn't even want a sneaker for like $0. <laughs> All right, so from this data set, we now have mapped out sort of like for each price point, how many people are willing to buy our sneaker. So basically now that we know the cost for producing the sneaker, we can also calculate uh, the profit for each price point. Uh, so now we can choose, all right, with this price point, we get this much sales, which means this, this much profits, which is, which is the highest profit. 
all right, so we go with this price. And basically, to tie everything together, what is price elasticity? So price elasticity is like the slope of this curve. So how fast is it sloping? Is it uh, going like really flat or is it going down really fast? Uh, and that's basically what price elasticity is. It tells you for a changing price, how much uh, does the demand change? So if we lower with 5%, how much extra percent do we get in demand? And then we can sort of like think it's, is it, is the 5% decrease in price? Uh, is it something that we're willing to, willing to take? And this is usually at the heart uh, of uh, all of the algorithms. What they do is they, they try different methods to try to es estimate this price elasticity. So basically what they're trying to do is, uh, is they're, they're trying to estimate this curve. And basically it's like, uh, if we talk about like in more mathematical terms, you usually have like a continuous function, which is, which is the demand function. And the price elasticity would be the derivative uh, of this curve. And this is what they're trying to do. Uh, approximating this curve with different price experiments uh, all the time. So what would be examples of products with high or low price elasticity? Well, for example, something uh, with a, a very high elasticity, something being very elastic is something that sort of where a small change in price has a huge effect in demand. Maybe maybe like gas for cars yeah. is something. Like you even see, like even with a small change downwards, you see a quite a huge increase uh, yeah, in demand. Actually, that would be something like, uh, and that's where where the price elasticity is is quite high. Yeah. But there's of course like a, a limit to it because people do need gas. Uh, so the elasticity changes if you go like, for example, if we we do this experiment where we increase the price of gas, then maybe in the beginning we see a quite sharp decrease. But then uh, as you decrease even further. Uh, then, then there's, uh, then there isn't any more. That's sort of a sharp uh, effect on demand. Okay. So even though we talk about price elasticity as sort of like one number, uh, it's actually it could be like a function that it changes from price point to price point. And uh, to be quite fair, that's actually how it usually does uh, in a real, real case scenario. And what about low price elasticity? Well, something that isn't elastic at all. Something that which is like, uh, uh, like a, what's it? classic textbook example like some necessity like some uh, medicine or something you know uh, something that where like price doesn't really matter at all like uh, even though if we increase the price on some medicine people do still need it like if they have some condition which requires the medicine it doesn't really matter what the price is they still still need it if it's sort of like uh, a mandatory treatment okay so that would be a, a for example a, an example of something very inelastic and another type of price elasticity is the customers. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So now, uh, sort of if we pair this back to the sneaker example that we had. So now we just sort of formulated the price elasticity based on this entire population of 8,000 people. But actually what we could do is sort of we could think that uh, we could split them up, sort of like uh, think that, okay, this type of people have a different price elasticity. Uh, uh, in comparison to these people. And for example, if we're able to price uh, to them differently, uh, sort of like, for example, let's say that uh, we have students and non-students, and then you have a student card to show that you know, you're actually a student. So it's, it's something where you cannot sort of cheat that you are something which you aren't. And sort of then we give like a student discount because we know students have uh, maybe a lower income. So presumably they're their price elasticity is slightly different. So we gave a student discount to them. And in that sense, 
the optimal price for students would be different than for the for the other people in this example. And this is something like uh, when you go low enough, you come to to completely like personalized pricing. Now now we split this you know population of thousand. We split it into two. But what if we split it so that we we split it into thousand so that we estimate the price elasticity or the demand curve for each and every individual we have like we know their education we know their income we know their preference etc cetera, etc cetera. so we're able to price very efficiently exactly to them uh, so we're getting sort of like it's a, it's a gray area in that sense like student discounts is something that everybody everybody accepts that's totally fine we also accept that in different countries we have different prices based on like the demographic uh, profiling but then when it, when it becomes too personal like i think if you Thomas find out that you get a different price for, you know, sneakers based on what your education is, I think that's something like maybe you wouldn't feel feel so nice about it. No, and maybe I would like to hack my social profile so I get good prices everywhere, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's the other factor that that if you have if you try to do something like uh, where you estimate uh, like people's individual price elasticities. All right, first you have to think about the ethical aspects of it. Like, is this is it okay to abuse this information in order to extract more profit from these people? That's like the first thing to do. But then also the thing that, is it like, is it a pricing decision which can be cheated upon? Uh, as you said, like you can, if, if it's based upon the, your educational data, which comes from Facebook, and then you change, change your Facebook that, no, I did not go to university, and you get, and thus you get a cheaper price, then it's not like in a, not a super effective pricing policy if everybody can basically cheat upon this. Yeah, you mentioned that it works quite well and also um, accepted in a way uh, using like student as a separate segment. Then, uh, is there any other segment or any other any other other areas uh, where it actually works uh, works okay and, and is acceptable to have different kind of prices to different users? Mm. I think, like in general, the, the student example is good. Like, and also dividing by countries is something that people usually and that's especially if you want delivery to your home country, then, then that's something you cannot cheat unless like you have someone in, in some, some other country that can pick it up for you. Uh, but then also like reward programs is something where, where you sort of think that, okay, then it's accepted because I sort of like, I give my information away willingly uh, and then I get rewarded for my sort of like loyalty to a certain place uh, and this sort of stuff. So this is sort of, as I said, it's a gray murky area because it very much depends on also like, have you given your information away, like willingly actually accepted or is it sort of like gathered from like third parties or, or stuff where you actually didn't, you know, really, really allow this, the use of this data. But those are like some uh, like uh, okay examples, I think. Yeah. And probably areas where there be a, will be a lot of discussions in the future and uh, we will probably get all kinds of different offers based on our social profiles uh, and so on. But uh, I think this has been very interesting and it seems to me that there is a lot of opportunities in these areas and I guess some companies are working a lot with these uh, things, others haven't started yet and if you would like to get started to apply automated prices, where should you start and what should you think about? I think like a very good place to start is like, first of all, trying to think about price as a strategy. Like uh, it's something that needs to be update, updated. It's something that needs to be like thought about very often. 
Yeah, I think like the worst case scenario would be that you sort of like buy in a product, you look at the sort of purchase price, you think about some margin which you want, and then you set the price, and then you leave it on the shelf, and then then that price goes to you know to the end of the season where where you then you apply some generic you know minus twenty percent discount. That's sort of like the which I would see as like a quite suboptimal situation. So where would you want to go from there to sort of improve? So we'll start thinking about doing some experiments with prices. That's like, I think, uh, like the very, very basis. Try a different price points. Like, because that's eventually, that's what the algorithm does as well. It does, it does this price experiment. It changes the price to see how the demand reacts and then tries to map out like, how does the, the demand curve actually look like? And it doesn't require, you know, artificial intelligence to do the calculation itself. You can do it manually as well. And you can do it sort of like, with an intuition basis as well, by trying different price points, looking at the data, uh, A-B testing, this sort of stuff. I think that's a very, very good start sort of to just, you know, pick a handful of products that's manageable for yourself uh, and try doing these things. That's a very good start. And then, you know, once you start doing that, get more analytical with it. Maybe if, you know, if you don't have the capabilities in-house, maybe somebody who can, you know, do the more, more of the statistical and mathematical calculation and, and sort of see that, uh, all right, if there's actually these uh, tests are actually statistically valid tests and uh, we can sort of like tell something about the real world with them. Because that's, that's no, the problem with the practical application is that, all right, in this fake world, we have thousands, thousands of people and we could ask each and every one of them. But in the real world, you don't have this, uh, this possibility and you sort of, it's always an estimate. It's, we're not talking about the ground truth, but let's say even, a, even an okay estimate and being aware that it's not a perfect estimate, it's better than having no estimate at all. That's sort of like, like I think a, a good good point to start from. Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks a lot uh, for all uh, for for the information. Most of all, I learned a lot and also for the great tips. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the next podcast where we're going to discuss our startup business, a sneaker store. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, really great having you on the show, Eric. And uh, I'll see you around. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. To be up to date with podcast-related matters, please follow our LinkedIn page. And if you want to participate in discussions or recommend topics and guests, please join our Facebook group as well. Just search for Radically Smarter Commerce and you will find us. And of course, if you want to contact me or Thomas directly, you can always reach out on LinkedIn. And you find this podcast on all platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast, as well as at radicallysmartercommerce.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you like the podcast. It helps us to find new listeners. And you can also follow Aptus at LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. See you in two weeks.